I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Hi, Kiki. Maniacal laugh. Maniacal laugh. Well, they say it's not easy being green, but before we get to that green person, let's talk about another green person because we have a She-Hulk trailer. Yeah, She-Hulk. Attorney at law. Yeah, sort of a new title. She's green, so does that make her the avocado at law? Are we taking that title away from the from the blind guy? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, yeah, I think uh, I think Harvey Birdman is is gonna sue. I mean, I, I, I'm hoping that Matt Murdock makes a cameo in the series just because lawyers. And and also we we need we need more we need more Matt Murdock. Come on, more Charlie Cox. You know, give me more yeah, Charlie Cox. Yeah, I, I want Charlie Cox coming back. He he deserves better. Come on. I'm kind of wondering where in the timeline we are with this, because Bruce is still fully hulked out. It looks like his arm is healed. From the snap. But the last time we saw Bruce Banner in the MCU, he was back to being a human, still with his arm in a sling, talking about Chang-Chi and the Ten Rings. I'm just giving up on the timeline at this point. I I know that our good friend Tony Goldmark is still <laughs> fighting the good fight with the sacred timeline. <laughs> and bless him for doing so. But I'm giving up at this point. <laughs> so we got Tim Roth back as the Abomination, as a human. Yeah. And it looks like he does transform back into the Abomination as far as the trailer is concerned. Yeah. And um, although we don't see him in the trailer proper, it has been announced Tatiana Maslany, I believe is how you say her last name, uh, is our main Jennifer Walters slash She-Hulk. Apparently, they are going straight into the She-Hulk always having full control of her faculties, which is good. Also, um, this looks to be having a bit of the comedy of the very early She-Hulk run. Yeah, the really early She-Hulk run was extremely comedic and one of the best bits of comedy. So Long before Deadpool did it, She-Hulk was breaking the fourth wall. And uh, there was that clip we got last year, Disney Plus Day, of Jennifer breaking the fourth wall, recreating the intro to the original uh, Incredible Hulk series. More of that, please. Yeah, I'm... I don't know how much we're going to get her, like, wink and nod to the camera. I hope we do, because I love that in a show if it's done right. And uh, we see a car accident. Right, really early in the, uh, in, the, uh, in the trailer, 
maybe this is what causes her to need a blood transfusion from Bruce Banner, and then she got just she gets hulks out afterwards. Yeah, I I don't know. It's it might be like, oops, they're the only two in a I mean a remote was, area or something. Yeah, I mean it was like yeah. Also, a little bit, we didn't get a lot of it, but we got a little bit of uh, Jamila Jamil as Titania. Uh, uh, she's supposed to be one of the main villains in the series, and I'm looking forward to it. I really like her. I loved her so much in The Good Place. <laughs> yeah, it's also Blink and You'll Miss It, and I had to go back and watch this in a frame-by-frame thing. I was told about a year ago. That I had to that that to uh, keep an eye out for this character. That this character will become very important in the MCU. And I didn't understand why. Now I understand. For one frame of this trailer, you will see a character from Marvel called Frogman. He is the guy in the entire green suit with the weird uh, eyeballs on the top of his head. I don't know if you've seen noticed him in the trailer. Uh, I didn't. But uh, I know this is a show where we're talking about a green frog, but this is a different green frog. <laughs> but yeah, Frogman, who is supposed to be kind of a bumbling comedic superhero, I'm wondering how they're going to go about that in, in 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 the series. Since if this is going more comedic than your traditional uh, MCU project, also. Um, Part of the a little bit of a romantic comedy because we're starting to have uh, She Hulk have a bit of a love life. We see her going on Tinder, get going on some dates. Yeah, her carrying the date into the bedroom. Um, uh, all I want to do is see you turn into a giant, giant woman, woman. A giant woman. All I want to be is someone who gets to see a giant woman. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, between uh, Lady Dimitrescu from <laughs> Resident Evil and uh, now She-Hulk, I think the uh, there's going to be a lot of weird step-on-me-giant-woman. Uh, Especially we have Titania in this series, and that's her thing. She grows. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but yeah, you're right. That's that's going to be a whole th- oh, Geek culture is going to get so weird so fast. Uh, but you know what? I, I'm not I'm not here to shame anybody. Not here to shame anybody. If that's your thing. You go for it. Uh, but uh, that's uh, that's going to be a fun thing as soon as this series hits. We have the date of August 17th, so just uh, under two months away. Yeah, it's supposed to be a half-hour legal comedy. Is this going to be a dancing baby involved? That at least had the the good sense to be an hour-long comedy drama. Yeah, She-Hulk. Yes, looking forward to it. So, let's go. Let's talk about this green, other green frog. So, we are talking this week about The Muppets, the 2011 Disney movie. And I would consider this, personally, the first true Muppet sequel. 
in that every Muppet movie that's come out up to this point, from the Muppet movie all the way to Muppets in Space, seem to be in their own unique universe. There are times where we're meeting the Muppets, the Muppets are meeting each other for the first time, or some sort of event where the Muppets start from the bottom and have to get to the top. This one directly references events of the past movies. It was kind of a welcome change for me because now we're acknowledging the past rather than ignoring it. I understand what Henson was trying to do with that, but it was nice to have acknowledgement that these things happened. It was kind of the major one to acknowledge the Muppets as full performers and a full franchise, which the other movies kind of did at parts. If you go all the way back to the Muppet movie, if you go further back into the Muppet show, it establishes that the Muppets are performers who are doing a show. And then the Muppet movie builds on that where Kermit wants to go to Hollywood and wants to be a performer. He wants to sign the standard rich and famous contract. And he picks up these other performers along the way. Now in this movie, in this 2011 version of the Muppets, they are finally bringing that full circle and they are saying, yes, the Muppets are a group of performers who are known worldwide for being performers. They've done the Muppet show. They've done all of these other movies. And now they have entered a slump. They are bringing this meta. And it's kind of, you're right, it is meta, because after the disappointment of Muppets from Space, it was a box office disappointment, there really was nothing really from the Muppets for a while. You know, well, there, there was, and we have discussed a couple of those projects. Yeah, I mean, yeah, but I'm talking but about But they those... were small TV things. They were, you know, little holiday bits and specials and stuff. But, but they weren't feature. big projects. Yeah, there, there was no feature films. There was TV movies, TV specials. Yes, I, uh, but they had, yeah, the Muppets had definitely scaled down from big movie stars to the occasional TV special. This movie is kind of weird because it kind of ignores all of that. It implies the Muppets haven't been around for a lot longer than that. If you think about it, what they're saying is the Muppets are a Gen X slash millennial thing, specifically like an older millennial thing. And the younger generations don't really remember the Muppets. Like, they sort of know about the Muppets, but they're not connected to the Muppets. And for the most part, when this movie came out, that was true. There's an entire generation who has no idea who the Muppets are. Yeah, at, at that point, that was more true. Uh, it's less true now. Yeah. But at the time this movie came out, that was kind of true if you'd have asked your the younger kids or your nieces nephews whoever you had around that was that kind of target 
Muppets loving age that you think about. I mean, we kind of get the joke in the movie from, I believe at the time, teenage Selena Gomez saying she had no, she has no idea who the Muppets are. Yeah. And um, there's a, another cameo uh, in there from uh, Rico Rodriguez, who was on Modern Family, uh, much younger uh, in there at the time. Because that was kind of at the beginning of Modern Family. He was like, yeah, I have no idea where I am either. And Kermit also doesn't know who he is. Because <laughs> um, it's right at the start of Modern Family. Because in terms of this movie, it tends to ignore everything after the Muppets take Manhattan. They don't really do, like, Muppet Treasure Island references. They don't really... Yeah, it kind of... Kind of we does. see the wedding picture from Muppets Take Manhattan. Which is kind of interesting because that wouldn't have been where Whitmire was performing Kermit and yeah. Yeah. It really did kind of just do the, the Jim Henson Muppets run and then anything after that was kind of brushed under the, the rug. But, you know, people who... who grew up remembering who Jim Henson was, people who would have been devastated by the death of Jim Henson. That's who this this movie was really made for. And it was Disney's way, I think, of if we let someone who is part of that group and a couple of people, because I don't want to discount the other creatives that worked on this. But, you know, Jason Siegel was the, the kind of major force. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's been wanting to make this. this movie for a while prior. Pretty much since yeah. he, ever, pretty much since Disney bought the Muppets, Siegel had been saying, I want to make a Muppet movie. Yeah, I mean, it, pretty much since Jason Siegel became famous, he was like, Muppet film. <laughs> this was... Disney's kind of way of being like, okay, if we turn it over to the people that are that freaking passionate about the Muppets, can we somehow transfer that onto the next generation? Because we've kind of talked about it. Iger is not a fan of the Muppets at the time. He was not a fan of the Muppets. No. The thing is, though, is that because of Iger's animosity and Iger's misunderstanding of the characters, they never knew what to do with the Muppets. We have talked before about the kind of dark ages of the Muppets and those failed projects in that time uh during the the early parts of the disney takeover if muppets wizard of oz ever gets on disney plus that is going to be an episode oh yeah we we i i think we both would have a lot of, of thoughts however what they needed to to do was somebody like Jason Siegel and the co-writer Nicholas Stoller here who 
they do understand what Muppets means to people of our generation. People who were so impacted by Jim Henson's vision and also were and continue to be so devastated by his loss and continue to return to the Muppets, even at the age we are now. We are Walter. Yeah. And they understood what a character like Walter means and could mean to the audience. I think that Disney for a long time was focused on children, 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 and it got them a certain reputation. And I think what Jim Henson was so incredibly smart about was focusing on families. And we've spoken every time we've talked about the Muppets that the main Muppets line was an adult line, not in the sense of being crass or sexual or shocking for the sake of it, but it was a thing adults could enjoy with their children. And when Disney acquired the Muppets, Disney looked at it and went, oh, look, a children's thing. And that was never what the main Muppet line was. That's what Sesame Street was. That's what Fraggles were. That's what that's what a lot of other Henson projects were. That's not what Muppets were. And Jason Siegel and his co-writers and everybody who worked on this film understood that. This film immediately starts out with a bunch of jokes that would fly over the heads of kids. They're not necessarily lewd or inappropriate, but they appeal to adults. But they're not a thing that you would consider inappropriate for a child. And the movie is full of things like that. You know, old pop culture references or things that are only funny if you're 30 and have seen some life you know it's like <laughs> even the even the songs used are songs that our generation would know yeah it's all nirvana songs it's all you know 80s and 90s 80s songs. and 90s songs it's but there it's not stuff that's like awful it's just oh that's stuff that would be nostalgic for us it's very savvy in the way that it that it uses nostalgia. It's not just fan service. It's exactly the right mix of remember what this meant to you. Now you can share it with your children or your nieces and nephews or your cousins or your, you know, whatever kids you might have in your life what these characters meant to you why this sh should matter 
And now going forward, you can show them the Muppet show or the Muppet movie or the and say, hey, remember when I was crying like an absolute baby at that one part in that movie we watched? This is why, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, one of the biggest things of, of any Muppet movie is the music is the music in it. And, you know, who can ever forget the classic songs written by Paul Williams for the original Muppet movie? So, in this one, uh, we're, we're not getting Paul Williams, but uh, we're getting Brett McKenzie of Flight of the Concords. Yeah, and, you know, we are both comedy music fans, so we've both been into Flight of the Concords since they first... Well, since before their... TV show because we started hearing their music over here through comedy music circles mm-hmm. um, long before the TV show uh, they were just weird comedy band out of New Zealand the director of this film the Muppets was one of the co-creators of that HBO show. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, James Bobbin, yeah. Yeah, James Bobbin. Um, who had also done work with um, Sasha Baron Cohen doing um, the Ali G show. Which is where he, uh, which is where Sasha Baron Cohen had come up with Ali G and Borat and Bruno and some of his big characters. And then he went on to work with Brett and Jermaine and worked on Flight of the Concords. And then he would do Muppets and Muppets Most Wanted. He would go on to do the um, Alice Through the Looking Glass as well which is the sequel to the the tim burton alice movie he's also going to be working for for disney just another weird disney connection he's going to be working on the um percy jackson series for disney plus oh cool that was possibly the thing that sold me most on the movie i was already excited with Jason Siegel's involvement because I had seen the bit in Forgetting Sarah Marshall where they had done the extended puppetry bit. But the thing that sold me on it was Brett McKenzie doing the music because yeah. I love Flight of the Concord so much. Brett McKenzie won an Oscar because Man or Muppet did win Best Original Song. Yeah, um... The competition wasn't that good because the only other song nominated that year was Real in Rio from the movie Rio. So anyway, let's actually get into who's in this movie. As we mentioned, Jason Siegel as the main human, Gary. Walter's human brother. 
Uh, I don't know how a family could give birth to a human person, a human child, and then a Muppet child, but it's a movie. Uh, yeah, it's it's a movie. We don't ask. The original plan was for them to be best friends, and you can still hear that in the song at the beginning, where Amy Adams sings that Gary is always off with his friend. Which, when you watch it in the movie, you're like, why is she so jealous of the fact that he spends time with his brother? You seem like a very weird kind of psycho girlfriend. But in the original cut of the movie, they were just supposed to be best friends. And it makes slightly more sense that she has more of a problem with him constantly choosing his best friend over her. Oh, okay. Uh, after 10 years of dating, you know? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, Jason Siegel, of course, at the time was most well known for being on How I Met Your Mother. Um, but of course he had done um, Freaks and Geeks uh, prior to that. And he had been in so many movies uh, by that point, like Knocked Up and Forgetting Sarah Marshall. And uh, he had been a voice in Despicable Me. Uh, so, you know. I, I must say that the kids they got to play young Jason Siegel actually look like a young Jason Siegel. Yeah, really good casting. I have no idea if they're like related or something, but, you know. Uh, Amy Adams is married. We've talked about her when we talked about uh, Enchanted. Uh, we have our villain, Chris Cooper as Tex Richmond. Chris Cooper is one of those guys that has been in freaking everything. He's got a bit of a Marvel connection. We've talked about the movie in passing before, but we've not discussed it. He was uh, Norman Osborn in The Amazing Spider-Man 2. We talked about Amazing Spider-Man 1 uh, for a previous podcast, and we sort of discussed the events of Amazing Spider-Man 2 when we talked about that, but we didn't actually talk about the movie proper. Also, with the Disney connection, he's got, you know, voice in Cars 3, but, of course, he's been in just tons of prestige films you know uh, american and he, beauty and sea biscuit and uh, cooper just has one of those voices that is made to play a villain unfortunately yeah he plays a lot of villains and and, and plays them extremely well hmm. and does so in in this one too but you know as as you see in this film excellent comedic chops as well and uh, not so bad of a rapper. <laughs> yeah. It's really great to watch him play off of Muppets, though. And the way he plays off of Uncle Deadly, especially, is just such perfection. Love it. Yeah, this is kind of a return of Uncle Deadly, who really hasn't been seen in a major Muppet production since the original Muppet show. Yeah, and, and we're and, we're gonna talk about that. I want to talk about Uncle Deadly more later, but uh, let's, and now uh, he's kind of yeah, and Deadly's kind of now one of the core Muppet m- members these days. Yeah, largely because of this movie. 
And we got a bunch of celebrity cameos. Uh, Rashida Jones plays the network executive. Jack Black plays himself. Zach Calvinakis plays Hobo Joe. Jim Parsons as Human Walter. Ellen Arkin as the tour guide. Ooh, Christian Scowl as the anger management coach. Donald Glover was fun to see just pop in for a second. Watching Emily Blunt show up just as a Devil Wears Prada joke. And then you, you already mentioned when Selena Gomez and uh, Rico Rodriguez walk in, but they come in with Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg previously was in a Muppet movie where she played God. Yeah. Possibly my favorite of all of them is just Dave Grohl. As Animal. As, as Animal, one of the Muppets. Yeah. Um, and then one of the more interesting ones was we had Mickey Rooney. Yeah. In one of his uh, later performances, uh, just sitting on a bench as a resident of small town. And of course, we get our, our trademark Muppet performers. In a bit of a somber note, this is the final Muppet performance for original Muppet performer Jerry Nelson. Uh, he has one line where he's introducing Kermit the Frog, uh, and he would pass away the following year. And uh, in tribute to that, they would reuse the line uh, for Muppets Most Wanted. Most of the most of the characters that. Uh would be played by Jerry Nelson normally or uh, played by Matt Vogel here mm. uh, as Matt was Jerry Nelson's understudy and had already taken over most of his characters. Um, but by that point. So let's, let's kind of get into the movie proper. We've already talked about Walter and you know, we said it. You know, Walter represents us, the, the, the old school Muppet fan. He always feels like he doesn't fit in anywhere until he discovers the Muppets. And that's where he feels like he belongs. He found people like him. And he found, you know, Kermit became his hero. Yeah, I just want to point out that uh, Peter Linz is the uh, Muppeteer for Walter. Uh, for anybody, since we've not talked about Walter before. Yeah, new character Walter. Kind of sad that they, Walter kind of disappeared after Most Wanted for a while, up until uh, Muppets Now, because he would have been awesome in the Muppets TV show. But uh, yeah, they, for for whatever reason they they didn't uh, put him in that. Uh, we'll probably talk about uh, the the Muppets TV show before long, but <laughs> it took them a little bit to figure out how Walter fit into the main Muppets cast, but I'm glad they did because I like Walter as an addition. But it's a good opening where Walter does talk about his love of Muppets. And you also see that Gary likes the Muppets, but not to the point of Walter. I like where they show the bedroom that they share. And you see that it's kind of split down the middle. You know, where they have a bed on each side of the, the room. And Gary's half of the, the room 
is like sports pennants, you know, generic kind of, you know, small town baseball team or whatever, you know. And Walter's half of the room is 100% Muppets merchandise. If you ever want to go on like a deep dive of, of Muppet insanity, pause this movie in Walter's bedroom and try to identify all of the... Because some of that stuff is actual real Muppets collectibles from over the years that they have pulled out of storage. I, it's... Oh, it's so good. And we kind of get a cameo of the El Capitan Theater as the Muppet Theater. Which is also really cool. Because you can see the Disney store right next to it. Yeah. <laughs> Branding. <laughs> Brand synergy. They go to the, the Muppet Studios. and A pretty good recreation of the studio from the first film. Yeah, they, they do a lot of recreations of old sets. Especially from the old Muppet show. Which is a real nostalgia hit. If you love watching the the old Muppet show, this this movie, I got to tell you, this movie makes me cry like a tiny, tiny, tiny newborn when they go into Kermit's office and it like shows his little tuxedo and it pans across and there's all the pictures on the wall and the show. All the celebrities that have been on the Muppet Show, and it's like that. There's like the picture of Jim and the like. Yeah, because <laughs> you gotta, you know, Florence Henderson, Vincent Price, Jim Henson. <laughs> oh my goodness! It's like somebody's just like stomping on my heart. Yeah. Why do you do this to me, movie? And the biggest reference to the to the original film, the standard rich and famous contract. Yeah. That that they signed at the end of the first movie. The, the contract is set to expire. And they would lose uh the lease on the property. It's it's specifically explained that part of the contract is that they're leasing the studio. And enter our villain, Tex Richmond, who is set to buy the lot. He buys it under the guise of, I'm going to build a Muppet Museum because I always grew up loving the Muppets. But uh, mustache twirling, mwahaha villain, there's oil in under the, under the studio and I am evil rich businessman and I will meet to be even richer businessman. And he is being helped by his henchman, Uncle Deadly. And Boba the Bear. Yeah. Tex Richmond. And I wanted to wait till we get to this part. Because I Tex Richmond's story is a very unique one. And most of it is cut from the movie. Because if you just go into the movie by itself. It's just, there's oil in under here. I want money. I'm evil businessman. Very shallow. Very simplistic. Then you get to the rap song. There is an entire part of this song that is cut from the movie. In his rap song, the extended version anyway, we flash back to Tex Richmond's 10th birthday party, where, because he grew up a rich kid, has the Muppets performing at his birthday party. 
And they're doing all of their bits and telling all of their jokes, and every kid is laughing because it's the Muppets. They're funny. Except for Tex, because he doesn't know how to laugh. This is what, this is explains the entire maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, maniacal laugh, because he physically cannot laugh. So because he doesn't know how to laugh, every other kid at his birthday party was laughing at him. He got embarrassed and swore vengeance upon the Muppets. So with that extra scene, it actually makes sense. This is not no longer business. It's, it's, it's a personal vendetta that Tex Richmond has against the Muppets, which I think would have made this movie a lot better. I don't know. I think either way, it's kind of a flimsy thing. Eh. Which makes the whole thing at the end where Gonzo hits him with the bowling ball and then he starts laughing makes sense because finally the Muppets got him to laugh. Eh. Is it me or did this movie do a Rocky Four reference with 80s Robot? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure where 80s Robot came from. I tried to look it up, but it just, I think it just made the writers laugh. <laughs> like, it, it it feels like this is a somehow a reference to the robot in, in Rocky IV. I, I like the introduction of Kermit, where he's, like, framed by the backlighting... And the choir, and then you discover it's just a choir bus driving by where they're practicing on the bus on the way to something. (laughs) I love that joke. It's such an old school Muppet joke. And Walter passing out because, you know, coming face to face with his hero. The interesting thing, we haven't even talked about this. Did it hit you that they were taking out the arm rods i didn't notice any arm rods so yeah they i think this was the first time they did it where they it was quite a long time in the movie before i realized like oh oh man this was when they started digitally removing the arm rods isn't it that i remember that being a bit controversial because some people liked the idea it made them more real but a lot of people didn't because it felt like it was taking away part of their character. Because they did it in the Muppets TV show. And that was the first time I noticed it. But the, in going back and looking at this movie, I was like, oh, man, this is when they started to do it, isn't it? Once you notice it, it starts getting really weird. I'm still not sure if I'm a fan of it or not. I, I go back and forth on it. It does give it an extra level of illusion, but also I'm not I'm not sure you need that to make the Muppets magical. I mean, you can go on YouTube right now and watch old clips of Jim Henson fully in frame operating Kermit the Frog, and your brain just kind of removes Jim Henson and focuses on Kermit. So I'm I'm not really sure it's needed. It's it's kind of weird. I'm I I kind of almost believe these movies would work if you had puppeteers just walking around fully visible in frame. I mean, it works for Avenue Q. They're you know they're just yeah. Bl- if you bl- can buy that 
on a stage with just people wearing black clothing wandering around holding puppets. I mean, we, we've mentioned it, but I've seen the most recent MST3K tour, and it's the same thing. They're just wearing black, but you don't really notice it because how they're performing the, the Crow and Servo puppets. Yeah. I mean, one of our good friends does that as as well. He does an entire stage show sometimes where he does an entire puppet show and he just fully walks around. Uh, he's He also performs as well with the uh, Henson Puppet Up troupe. And, and Mystery Science Theater. And, and also Mystery Science Theater, come to think of it. But yeah, um, but yeah, that that Henson Puppet Up troupe, they just do improv with puppets and it's the, the same kind of idea. They just walk around in black clothing with puppets and you don't even notice the puppeteers. You just focus on the puppets because that's the magic of the thing. So yeah, I'm I'm not even sure that that I that I really think they need to go through the extra because I don't think anyone cares. But Walter is the is the one that tells Kermit they're gonna lose the the thing because nobody's read the fine print in so long that I think to even notice that they're gonna lose. Which then we find out about the fine print to the fine print, which says that uh, in signing this contract, they also signed away the intellectual property of the Muppets. And all their names. Everything. See, see, this is what happens when you sign a contract with a large studio. The irony of this being a Disney movie. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because, you know, Disney knows what they do. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> and these days, dis as we've discussed, Disney is fine being the bad guy at this point. Because what you gonna do about it? Yeah. Um, but uh, they come up with the idea of a telethon. Actually, I do want to talk about the the song Kermit sings. Pictures in my mind. Pictures in my mind. It is a lovely song. I adore it. And I love the way that they do him singing to the pictures of his friends on the wall. And I like that the picture of Piggy is covered and never comes to life. The 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 breakup still bothers him. What do we do now? And they're like, hey, didn't you see our first movie? We drive. <laughs> Yeah, more ref- and even during the montage where they get the other Muppets, we get another reference to the original Mupp- Muppet movie, because Sweetums is back working at the used car store. Yeah, Madman Moonies! Yeah. Well, and, and Son. It's and now son, an yeah. and Son, because it's been so many years. Yeah. And we leave Sweetums behind, and he goes, not again! <laughs> Which I love. My favorite part of all of that is Gonzo's part. Because Gonzo has become the most successful of the post-Muppet career. Because he's now... A plumber. A plumber. Not just a regular... Well, yeah. CEO of a plumbing company. Which is another reference to the original Muppet movie. Because he had the plumbing van. You know, he had the little image of his face and stuff with all the made out of pipes and I, I I love that old van and I love Camilla as his like you know secretary with the glasses and the oh it's so cute 
Camilla, for the first time ever, gets subtitles. Yeah. Because uh, Gonzo has become a hardened businessman. And then Camilla just clucks to him and you see the subtitles. You don't have to pretend anymore. I know you want to go. Which, and then immediately Gonzo's like, I have been wearing my cape and tights under this business suit for years. <laughs> <laughs> and I love he's had the whole place wired to blow that whole time. He's been waiting for Kermit to come back. Yeah. I, I, I do like that Jack Black is Animal's Court appointed sponsor for his anger management. So good. Everything is so good. I love it. Love everything about it. Don't change a thing. So we do have to say that, that Fozzie is the first one we pick up. He is in Reno doing bad comedy. It's sad that when you see a member of one of your favorite groups being part of a tribute band to that same group. Yeah, yeah, not good. So Fozzie is now the lead singer of a Muppet tribute band called the Muppets. Yeah, with with Dave Grohl. With Dave Grohl. <laughs> um, but yeah, the uh, yeah, they're they're awful, and yeah, everything everything is awful. It's it's bad, and we don't like it. But Kermit comes to rescue Fozzie. Um before going and picking everybody else up because Fozzie is the best and him and Kermit are besties and possibly brothers. Um, oh, we'll get but, to that movie. But eventually. yeah, the, uh, eventually the they end traveling up by map, we finally get to travel by map, gets us to Paris because they uh, tell Kermit that he can't leave Miss Piggy out of this. But she's the editor for Vogue Paris for the plus size uh, section of Vogue Paris. Yeah, and they decide to go on a date to kind of patch things up. And if nothing else, for the benefit of the, of the group, it is said that Piggy's kind of tired of Kermit thinking of we. It's like, you know, we need you. We need you as part of the group. Piggy wants Kermit to say, I want you. She wants to hear Kermit say that he wants Piggy to be part of the group. Not, we want you, I want you. And Kermit can't bring himself to say it. So Piggy's like, well, nope, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And they hire Miss Poogie from the Muppets instead. But the uh, Muppets need a TV network to show their telethon on so they can raise the money and they go to every a network. woman. Yeah, they go to like every network and they're kicked out, but they finally find this place called CDE and a woman named Veronica and she says, yeah, nobody knows who you are anymore. Uh, ev our, our lead show is something called Punch the Teacher. Uh, clearly a parody of so uh are you smarter than a fifth grader yeah except, this except, feels like something out of like idiocracy or something yeah you know this feels like ow my balls or or whatever where's my pants from lego movie yeah it's it's one of those like you know let's mock reality tv which i'm fine with frankly but yeah but, uh, uh, so it turns out the teachers union has gotten the punch the teacher show canceled because it's literally just kids punching their teachers in the face. 
So now they have a hole in the schedule and fine. You can have your telethon, but it's got to be in two days to fill the slot. And it's got to have a celebrity host. It can't just be the Muppets. They have to have a legitimate celebrity host. Which fits in with Muppets in general. A lot of people will just say, just have the Muppets. But in reality, the Muppets are not the Muppets unless they have a celebrity to play off of. Let's be real. It, that's how it was in the original Muppet show. That's how it's been in all of the movies and the TV specials. Yeah, they kind of need a celebrity. Yeah, it's it's always been about the celebrity guest or the celebrity cameos. It's it every every time we do a Muppets thing, it's always celebrity of the day. And we get the re-enter of Miss Piggy, who has changed her mind. She is going to do the show, but not for Kermit. I'm not gonna, I'm doing it for them. I'm not doing it for you, since you refuse to say that you need me. Yeah. Um. Meanwhile, Richmond has decided that he's going to uh, take over the studio, uh, but he's going to give all of the trademarks to the Muppets just to spite Kermit. And mostly because Miss Poogie got fired and she wants revenge. Yeah. Okay, I, I want to mention this right now. I've There's been a really weird love-hate relationship among certain fans with this movie. Mostly because there's a certain section of Muppet fan who doesn't understand why are we spending so much time with these two humans that we know that we've never met before, this one Muppet character we've never met before, instead of Kermit and the gang. Why is the main story revolved around those three? And as we said before, the Muppets are gen at the time were not as popular as they once were. So you kinda need a reintroduction of the Muppets by focusing the story around Walter and Gary and Mary. So the story of Gary and Mary, is, we mentioned it, it's their anniversary, but Gary is complete, I, I need to help Walter with the Muppets. So Mary feels uh, underappreciated, she feels ditched by her man. We, we've mentioned in the, it was mentioned in the, in the earlier song how it's always the three of them and never the two of them. So she decides that she's going to enjoy her, va her her L.A. vacation by herself with uh, a me party. Not the best song in the movie. but it No, gives but it does parallel Piggy's story with Kermit. Because Kermit is doing the same to Piggy. At least that's what Piggy thinks. He's just, focusing on the Muppets and not their relationship. It, but it gives Amy Adams something to do. It gives a song for another song for Amy Adams to sing because, again, she enchanted. The more Amy Adams singing, the better. The interesting thing about this is that all of the choreography for this movie was done by Michael Rooney, who happens to be the son of Mickey Rooney, which is probably how we got that cameo at the beginning of the film. <laughs> so, uh, the, uh, He's done a lot of the choreography for a lot of the Muppet projects, by the way. So, mm. that's kind of interesting. The interesting thing is also Walter's subplot that starts growing as we're planning for this telethon. Which is that Kermit invites Walter to see if he has what it takes to be part of the Muppets. In other words, do you have what it takes to be a performer? 
do you have some kind of talent? It's kind of shown early on, not early, and it's not focused upon, but when they do the big cleanup of the theater to We Built This City, Walter is not singing We Built This City. He's whistling it, which yeah. pays off later in the movie when, with, his big, with his big number. I would have liked it more if they had focused on the whistling more to, for, for that payoff. Like, he, he doesn't sing any of the numbers in the, in the movie up until that one point. Like, I can't sing, so I'm not going to sing in the musical. I always wanted that in, in, in a musical. Like, the one character that can't sing or something like that, you know? I mean, it would have kind of scrubbed Man or Muppet. True. Pretty bad, but um, it would have been more interesting if they had uh, built on the the whistling or maybe just not that he can't sing at all, but maybe that he has stage fright. There, It could have built on it a little bit more. It does feel like it wasn't really quite fleshed out as much as it could have been. I, I kind of liked the Gary Mary subplot a bit more. I think they could have tied it into the Kermit Piggy subplot more, which I think they were trying to do. But it didn't gel as much. Yeah. The, because the... they didn't focus on the Kermit Piggy end of it as much. If they'd have just thrown one or two more lines to Kermit and Piggy about it, I think it would have come together a bit better. Mm. So, yeah, Gary has been so immersed in helping Walter help the Muppets that he has forgotten their anniversary. Like, he goes to, you know, hey, Walter. Uh, yeah, he can't quite figure out why Mary is so mad at him when he talks to her. And then he realizes what day it is. Oops. Yeah, it, it's like, you know, Walter says, hey, we, we came out here to see the Muppets, right? No, we came out here because it's me and Mary's anniversary. Oh, Walter, what, what day is it? Friday? Uh, yeah, now I know why she's mad at me. Gotta go. <laughs> but she's already left. Yeah, she had... She has had it. I love her looking in the thesaurus as she's mad at him. Like, I went I went to the museum alone. Then I ate lunch solo. Then I went for a walk unaccompanied. <laughs> and I'm going to leave you individually. <laughs> yeah, I I love her. I love her going through the thesaurus of all of the all of the synonyms for alone. And which leads us to Man or Muppet, where both of uh, Gary and Walter have to decide, you know, Gary has chosen, I am a man. And he goes back home and mends things with Mary. Walter goes, I am a Muppet. And he goes back to the Muppets. By the way, if you ever have a choice between Man or Muppet and you don't choose Muppet, I have no respect for you. Not that Amy Adams is not super hot, but Amy Adams even needs to choose Muppet at that point. What are you doing going back to small town? You need to be in that theater helping with that telethon girl. As someone who actually grew up in small town. Yeah, yourself. as someone who grew up in small town, screw small town, Muppet theater, hello. Uh, yeah, no. I, I mean, man or Muppet is not a question. Muppet always Muppet 
But it's a great song, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's a it's a wonderful song. Banger of a song. Muppet. Muppet is the answer to the question. Thank you. I really like how Piggy says, well, we've done it Kermit's way, and it hasn't gotten us anywhere. Time to do it my way. We're Which is punching things and kidnapping celebrities. Yeah, and I like how we, we go back and we use Animal to get Jack Black. Yeah. Because as we established in the movie... Jack Black is Animal's court-appointed sponsor for his anger management. This sequence leads to two of my favorite lines in the entire movie. <laughs> Which is the first one being when Jack Black opens the door and he's like, Animal, what are you doing? And Animal goes, acting natural. <laughs> and then they jump Jack Black. <laughs> that's line one and then the second one is kind of just that whole sequence when they show up and kermit discovers what they done <laughs> they're they're like kermit you've inspired us and he's like to kidnap people and they go and and lou zealand's like mr frog we got together and decided a celebrity is not a people <laughs> <laughs> Which has got to be my second favorite line. I did movie. like the, the the one line because um because right before they kidnap him, Jack Black says, "I'm busy putting on my balls," and then he comes out in a mocap suit. Yeah, it's a mocap suit, and he's attaching the ping pong balls to it. <laughs> one of my favorite cosplays I ever saw was was back just after fellowship of the rings came out so this is this is back in the day and that was one of the first films to use motion capture so extensively and somebody showed up at dragon con that year in one of those blue you know nylon suits with ping pong balls attached to them. They had a little sign attached to their chest that said Balrog pre-render. <laughs> Which I thought was the greatest lazy cosplay I had ever seen in my life. And now you see like stuff like that all the time. But it was right after the film came out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, that that person was possibly the most creative because they were one of the first to have ever done that. One of the funniest things in this movie is something that came across because of a production error. Our old blue fur monster buddy Thog here had to be completely rebuilt for this movie. And they used the original design for it. Which actually is much taller and much fatter than the one used in the original Muppet Show. So tall, in fact, that it couldn't actually fit through the arches of the Muppet Show set that they had built. So they had to write a thing where he had become so large that he can't fit through the, the arches anymore. And when they finally do the Muppet Show, having him walk up in front of the arches as opposed to behind it. I I I like that just yeah seeing things like that again like the Muppet Show arches and, and stuff it's just 
Oh, I love it. I love it. You have, and people were saying, you have the sets. Just redo the Muppet show again. I mean, and that's something that every time they do a Muppet anything, it's, well, why are you not just making the Muppet show? When Muppets Now was announced, people were saying, why are you doing this? Just do the Muppet show. But the thing is, is if you redo the Muppet show now, it it wouldn't play the same way because when the Muppet show was done, variety shows of that sort were on TV all the time. It was making fun of the thing that was on air constantly. When they did the Muppets ABC TV show, they were making fun of things like The Office and stuff that was on air constantly. The Muppets is always doing whatever is popular at the time, which is why this film went meta because meta was the thing. Meta and nostalgia and all that they, that's what we were into in 2011. And telling you this is also making fun of reboots. Yeah, and making fun of reboots. And yeah, that's what we were into when this movie came out. So that's, yeah. But yeah, so we we finally have our our celebrity host who doesn't want to be there. Uh, and, and everybody watching it thinks it's a bit. And I yeah. love it. I, I love how Fozzie plays into it. As soon as Fozzie gets on stage and all, he immediately realizes that Jack Black riffing off of him is getting the laugh. And Fozzie, for the first time in his life, kind of plays into the double act. Which he very rarely did with, say, Statler and Waldorf. But he realizes, like, okay, Jack Jack Black is, is kind of helping me get laughs here. And he leans over to Jack Black and he's like, okay, now you now you go. And Jack Black's like, this, this isn't a bit. I'm from really being held hostage. Help me, you know. It's one of the more savvy moments we ever get out of Fozzie, which is kind of interesting. And we see people at home watching it and we see what the Muppets really is, which is families sitting at home watching it. Parents and children all together laughing and equally enjoying it. I like the one family where you see an obvious mother, two children, and grandpa. Three generations loving the Muppets. That's where it is. I like the setup of the head bowling where Jack Black's like, I did not agree to this. No, 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 no. I am not part of this stunt. And we get the whole rest of the sequence of just Gonzo with his arm going, you know, revving up for that shot that doesn't pay off till the end of the movie. Yeah, it pays off by knocking Richmond in the head, which gets him to laugh. I I I love it. I love it. And but, Richmond just pulling out every trick in the book to stop the show. He cuts power. He tears down the phone the phone lines. It's just he just he's gonna do pull every dirty trick to make sure he wins. Yeah, and I like the the moment where Deadly and 
Bobo have that are we are we the baddies moment. Yeah. Which is a great moment. The uncle deadly face turn. It feels like taking the studio he was okay with, but taking the Muppets name was the was the one line too far. And the like, interesting thing is a lot of people don't remember where Uncle Deadly comes from. A lot of people thought he was a new character. Yeah, a lot because of people ha- who don't remember Muppet history thought he was a new character for this film. The first time I saw him was in the original Muppet show. He was the Phantom of the Theater. Well, yeah, he was the Phantom of the Muppet Theater. So the Muppet Theater was his home. So. Uncle Deadly should have had a problem with them tearing down the theater. I wish they'd have played into that a little more, but it's kind of an obscure bit of Muppet trivia. I like the payoff of we the first time we see Mary, we see her as a teacher, and you think, oh, she's going to be a school teacher. She has the, 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 the little kids. No, she's a shop teacher. She's fixing a car. Yeah, I, I do like that bit. And that pays off later by rewiring the, the, the power supply in the theater. Yeah. But I like the idea of Kermit and Piggy going out there to do their their duet that everybody expects. And it end up ends up being Rainbow Connection, which yeah. is also the thing that everybody expects from the Muppets. What do people expect from the Muppets? They expect Kermit, they expect Piggy, and they expect Rainbow Connection. And uh, I like that Kermit goes into his files and he pulls out the wedding picture from Muppets Take Manhattan. The other half of the, the picture that we've seen Piggy carrying this whole time. And we get that cute moment where they put the picture together and then they go out to do the... And and Kermit even acknowledges this may be the last time we get to sing together. And he finally says what he what Piggy wants him to say. I need you to do this with me. That's all she needed to hear. And we also get the, the resolution of animals' fear of drumming as Floyd brings up his drumsticks that have been kept in this beautiful wooden case i would have liked a resolution with jack black like he's off stage tied up and he says animal it's okay you're in control yeah that that would have that would have been nice the because after a while jack black just disappears from this movie yeah until the until the joke at the end yeah we get Animal back on the drums, joined by Electric Mayhem, joining Piggy and Kermit and the rest of the Muppets as they finish off Rainbow Connection. And I am crying like a tiny little baby again. Yeah. Oh, this movie. And it gets us almost to the end of the money they need. But they're one act short because Walter walked out. Yeah, Walter was too scared to go on stage, so he walked out, and there... But Walter has returned! And we get the payoff of the whistling, which I really wish they'd set up more in the movie. Yeah, that is kind of the one the, the, the one thing I wish they had bothered to set up more. The whistling act is 
really cool. And honestly, as a bit of puppetry, it's also really cool. I did so much research to try to figure out how they pulled that off. Because this is the first time we've ever seen a Muppet pucker their lips like this. Yeah. It's usually, it's usually like either done as a half fist or the bottom lip is extended out. This is a straight up pucker. This is, there is some kind of mechanism inside the mouth. Uh, and I looked it up and the only thing I could find appears to be the same thing quoted over and over that is something about the fact that Walter has a more advanced mouth and the puppeteer can trigger things with a finger mechanism. If this was the 70s or the 80s, it would have been a special puppet that was already puckered, and they would have done some cutaways or something. Yeah, but it's it's not. It's something. Uh, my guess is there's a spring-loaded trigger mechanism in there somewhere. But I I looked. Uh, I tried to find diagrams. I tried to find. You know, I, I could not find anything other than a single interview where there was some vague stuff about triggering something with a single finger and a more advanced mouth being given to this puppet that's it so if anybody out there knows please contact me and let me know because i'd love to see diagrams or images of how this puppet is built um because it is absolutely awesome to me and i would love to know more about uh walter but but unfortunately they end the telethon one dollar short. Everybody's very sad. Richmond <laughs> evicts the Muppets from the theater. It's really weird that they went, that, you know, they didn't do what you would, you know, you have your stereotypical villain, your stereotypical kind of story, but we end with the heroes sort of losing. Almost before we get to the big climax at the end here. Yeah. But the Muppets kind of sadly leave and discover that while the telethon has been going on inside, fans have been gathering outside. Yeah, the entire outside of the Muppet Theater is filled with hundreds of hundreds of fans, each holding signs saying, welcome back, Kermit. Welcome back, Piggy. We love the Muppets. Yeah, and Kermit and the the Muppets are just floored by the number of people who are out there cheering for them. And Kermit turns around and says, Walter, aren't you going to join the Muppets? You, you belong with us, you know? Uh, which is all of Walter's dreams come true. He finally found the place where he belongs. And then, of course, we get the end with uh, with uh, Richmond getting hit with the bowling ball and laughing for the first time in, of his life and giving the Muppet Theater and the Muppet name back to the Muppets. I wish that they had done that better and not over the ending credits. Yeah, because... It feels it's, like th there was a longer ending planned, and then it got chopped up in the editing room. 
Yeah, it, because it's kind of easy to miss, especially if you're in a theater and you start to leave. You know, it's like, well, here's the credits. Let's get up and leave. You kind of miss the resolution of the movie. Yeah, because if you're leaving as soon as the credits start, you're seeing Walter being held up on their shoulders and that's it. You also get Gary proposing to Mary in in this finale. I love her answer is Manamana. Yeah. <laughs> Which I I'm not sure is a a yes or a no, but it is Manamana. Which leads into us into the ending credits of every celebrity in the movie doing Manamana. The, the interesting thing, though, is the resolution of what happens to Jack Black, who gets carried away in a chair being hailed the Hobo King. <laughs> <laughs> I just love Zach Galifianakis, like, leading as they carry him away, like, you know, on a on a litter kind of, thing, you know, idea where it's like, all hail the Hobo King. And Jack Black's like, let me down! I mean... Jack Black kind of has the hobo beard these days anyway. Yeah, which he didn't at the time, but now it's like, well, nah, nah, dude, you're, you're kind of leaning into that. But yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting sort of, sort of, uh, ending to the, to the film. But... Most people ended up liking it. The The interesting thing is Frank Oz declined. Frank Oz has always been very disapproving in the way Disney treated the characters. He initially disapproved of the script. He saw an early version of the script and thought it was disrespectful to the characters. But when he saw the final version, he said, that he thought it was sweet and he thought it was fun, but he thought it was a little too safe because what he liked about the Muppets was that they were always cutting edge. And they try to do that when they get to Muppets Most Wanted, and that really didn't do well for Disney. So while Oz is right, this one played it safe, Playing it safe kind of worked, and trying to go pushing it is why there are so many people who did not like the Muppets TV show, the ABC one. That's kind of why Muppets Most Wanted didn't do so well, and how Muppets Now kind of also feels like playing it safe. I think that this one had to play it safe in order to reintroduce the characters. It's kind of like at the same time this was happening. Uh, Force Awakens. Many people thought Force Awakens played it safe. Likewise, this was also a reintroduction of the Star Wars universe to an entire generation who had never seen Star Wars before. In in a lot of ways, yeah. Um, I think Muppets had it a little worse because Star Wars at least had the animated shows that were still going, things like that. Um... Muppets did not have that. There was no... Well, there's still Muppet stuff constantly on 
air in some form or another. That wasn't really a thing. Muppets really had to do a almost complete reintroduction and recapturing of a new audience. So I can see how they wanted to play it really safe and really nostalgic. Hey, remember the Muppets? Why don't you get your kids into the Muppets? I think that the problem with Muppets Most Wanted, which we may or may not get around to, was was not that it was too edgy. Uh, I think there were other problems there. You have to strike a, a balance in anything. And in the end, not everything will be for everyone. And we've talked about it before of you're just going to have to be okay with that. And I really wish they would stop wanting everything to be for everyone. When you're trying to please everyone, you end up pleasing no one. Yeah, the things that turn out best, I think, are when when you hear the the creatives go, yeah, I was just kind of doing this for me. And if other people like it, yeah, that's cool. And those end up being really good things usually. Yeah. So the the stuff we've talked about on on this show that ended up being really remarkably good were when the creatives kind of went, yeah, I was just kind of doing this because it made me happy. And in a way, that was kind of the story that Jason Siegel wanted to tell. This was his dream project. Yeah, he wanted to tell the story of what the Muppets meant to him via Walter. And it worked out really well, I think. So let's let's ask the question, does the Muppets 2011 have the magic? I think it absolutely does. If by magic you mean, did this movie keep making me cry like a tiny little baby? (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah definitely this one definitely has the magic it's it's, it's a, a a a worthy entry into the the muppet canon the only thing i gotta say that makes me mad about this movie is it had its world premiere like an hour away from my house <laughs> and i didn't get invited Aww. and i will die mad about that well we're gonna have to you know Talk to the frog, and maybe, you know, he'll, he'll do a make good. <laughs> yeah. Frog, next time you uh, have a movie, I want I want to be invited to the premiere. I don't, ha- I don't have to be in it. I just want to see it. Yeah, I don't even have to be in it. Just, like, let me let me into the theater. <laughs> You're like, Walter, let me in. I want to <laughs> go with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's move on to next week. What do you get when you want to make Star Trek, but don't have the rights to Star Trek? Next week, we are going aboard the Orville. Kiki, can you open this jar of pickles for me? Oh, I can definitely open that jar of pickles for you. Orville New Horizons is about to premiere on Hulu. So in honor of that, we are going to be doing something a bit different and doing a collective review of both seasons of the Orville. So yeah. come 
come back for that. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversation online on Facebook at Rewatching the Magic. Twitter at Rewatch the Magic. And of course, new episodes every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it.